From ThatShelf.com, this is Black Hole Films. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's a black hole film, you ask? Well, you know those films you always meant to get around to watching, but you never did for whatever reason? Well, that's what they are. And this podcast is all about embracing them and checking those films off our lists and talking about them and whatever else happens to come up. I'm Canadian filmmaker Jeremy Lalonde, and I will be your host. You can follow me on Twitter at LalondeJeremy, or check out my website, JeremyLalonde.com, for more information on me and my projects. If you like the show, please subscribe to it, rate, review it, and leave a comment on whatever platform it is you're listening. It really does make a difference in helping to get more ears tuning in. And if you like this show, check out the others on the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 202, and today I'm joined by Norm Wilner from Now Magazine, as well as Someone Else's Movie Podcast, Ken Coopers, the showrunner of Hudson and Rex, Ian McIntyre, a writer on The Beaverton, and last but not least, director of photography, Rob Scarborough, who shot films like Room for Rent, as well as series like Baroness Von Sketch Show. And we're going to sit down and watch a film together. All right, so we're sitting down by uh, isolation, more or less, uh, to watch 48 Hours. I'm Jeremy. I have not seen the film. Oh, wow. I, I'm uh, Rob Scarborough, and uh, I have seen the film. Um, yes. Uh, I'm Ian McIntyre, and I genuinely can't remember if I've seen the film, and I'm 90% sure I haven't. <laughs> I'm Ken Cooperis. I have most definitely seen the film many times. I'm Norm Wilner. I, too, have seen the movie many, many times, including when I probably was too young to see it. So I'm 100% a virgin to this, wow. and Ian may be. Pretty sure. Yeah. How did, Jeremy, how did you miss it? I think, because what year is it? 82. So I would have been 11. <laughs> okay. Think. But it was like, this, this was the movie that if you walked into a video store oh. in the mid-80s, it was either this or Flashdance, neither of which should have been playing, but both of which were in heavy, heavy rotation because they were one of, remember, they were two of the cheapest tapes to get. I remember seeing the box art. I remember, but it was also like, it was right before my parents stopped giving a shit about what I watched. <laughs> and so I wasn't quite old enough because it's rated R, right? I assume. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I wasn't, they weren't quite letting me watch rated R movies just yet. And so I think it's just one of those ones that just slipped through and I never got back around to it. Hmm. I remember being on like TBS a lot when I was younger, you know, like it was on, it was on TV a lot. So I saw it in pieces for the longest time. And then I shot a pilot that was referenced of all those eighties cop movies. Uh, so I watched like a, all of them and that was one of them. And that was probably about two years ago or so. The last time I saw it was about two years ago, but it's, uh, I think it's one of the better of the eighties cop, cop movies in my opinion. The one reason for some reason as a kid, I don't know why. And, this will make no sense to anybody either in this podcast or listening. I always got it confused with stakeout because there was also uh, the yeah. sequel is also called another stakeout. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so I think at one point I had it in my brain, I need to watch 48 hours, but then when I watched stakeout and another stakeout, I'm like, well, I did that, but not at all since uh, a <laughs> yeah. very different movie, very different actors. Andy Murphy and Emilio Estevez are basically the same guy, <laughs> especially in the eighties. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. They had the same dealer. <laughs> yeah. The movie Eddie Murphy was in was great. This is great. I was like, wait a minute. This is, I missed the hockey movie with Eddie Murphy. I did not. Was this, uh, did this come out? Uh, this came out before um, Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think it was, I always thought it was after, but it was it before. I, I no, this was, this was Murphy's first feature. Like, yeah, this, is, is, this is the wow. thing that launched him as a, yeah. the star. So I thought he did, uh, I thought he did Best Defense before this. Nope. No, uh, they actually got him into Best Defense afterwards because they needed something to bolster the scenes that they'd shot with Dudley Moore. Like the, that movie is a weird hybrid freak it's a show. It's terrible thing. movie. It is oh. also terrible. <laughs> but yeah, the- no, like he was on Saturday Night Live. He shot yep. this. And that was it. He was all of a sudden a movie star. Like yeah. Six months later, Trading Places came out, comes out, I think. And then uh, Beverly Hills Cop is a year and a half later, I want to say, like 82, 83, mm-hmm. 84. Is that and right? I, and I think then Delirious, yeah. Or like somewhere around in there is Delirious as well. Yeah. Oh, Delirious was, was yeah. Like, Delirious in 80, might have also been 84. It might have been the same year as, as Trading Places in Beverly. That was like, maybe this was I Christmas heard, 83. I can't quite remember now. Yeah, speaking of SNL, this is actually, I think the only thing I do know for sure about this movie is that, uh, Nick Nolte was supposed to host SNL while Eddie was still on the cast because they'd done this movie. 
And Nick Nolte partied too hard at Studio 54 the night before and bailed on hosting SNL. So Eddie Murphy hosted SNL while he was still in the cast. Yeah, it's the first time ever, or then last time ever. Last time ever, yes. Especially because he he did a cold open where he talked about it. And then when it went to the credits, he went live from New York. It's the Eddie Murphy show. Yeah, and you can see a flash of terror. It's amazing. You can actually see it go across his face that he shouldn't have done that. Yo, I remember, yeah. like, that's burned into my memory. I saw that at the time, and I was like, oh, my God, this is this is not right. Something is wrong with this this format, and it was great. Oh, it's yeah. It was SNL at the time. I mean, he was the re- he's the reason that that, that show still exists. Mm-hmm. He, uh, Lauren Michaels left at that time. Eddie Murphy came, saved the day. And yep. was back on track, but uh, so he did. It was the Eddie Murphy show, technically. You don't think uh, <laughs> he wasn't wrong? <laughs> you don't think Joe Piscopo had a big? Uh, <laughs> well, well, you know that's that story, right? Like the, that that whole episode, Piscopo was pissed off because he wanted to host it as Frank Sinatra. Right. He wanted to do it in character, <laughs> and yeah, and basically, Mike, uh, whoever was running the show, was it Ebersol? Just said, it was Ebersol. no, yeah. don't you do that. <laughs> that's a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. I love the quote from the SNL book that like Eddie Murphy's success really went to Joe Piscopo's head. <laughs> Here's a window into my childhood. When you mentioned Delirious, Ian, I was like, why are you talking about the Giant Candy movie? <laughs> wow. That you was truly that a different time. He plays, he has a magical typewriter that like, he, it's yeah. like he's a soap opera writer. Is that right? That's I right. think so. Yeah. And he, and he's, and he's like, I remember, it's full of bad jokes. He has a typewriter. They type stuff in, they happen. Uh, which I'm no, sure. he ends up in, he gets knocked out and then he wakes up in his, in the, in his own book. show. Yeah, you're yeah. right. And, but he has his typewriter still. And, and so, you know, really funny stuff happens. Like he accidentally typed, he has a typo where he types in a bunch of cold deer by instead of beer. And so a bunch of deer. <laughs> so that hilarious. Stuff. But also yeah, like, hilarious. it's a, it's a real timely <laughs> movie about a, about a white dude, you know, typing stuff in to make a woman fall in love with him by forcing her with magic. Hey, isn't that, isn't that the same? Like what's that Ruby? What's uh, Ruby Sparks? Yeah, Ruby Sparks. Yeah. <laughs> but Ruby Sparks calls them out on it. Yes. <laughs> kind of an important difference between that. Yeah. Ruby Sparks, I really like Ruby Sparks. I like that. Ruby Sparks good, yeah. yeah. Ruby Sparks is self-aware where that one is not. Right? Yeah. Back in the eighties, that was a whole genre of film. There was like a right. section for it at Blockbuster. Like magical. <laughs> yeah, guy magically makes a woman fall in love with him against her will. Magical date rape. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's problematic. And I think, you know, 48 hours is pretty problematic too. And I think. Don't we're all but in a totally different way. Don't, don't spoil really the problem. about that a lot when we get back here. I want to experience the groans in real time. <laughs> I think, I mean, honestly, this is what I said when, when you posted about this one on, on the group. It's like, this is wrongly remembered as a comedy. It is just an action. It's a Walter That's Hill it. action movie with that a comedian. 100%. In it. And it's, oh, right. that was and it's great. The first thing I said, and lots of casual racism, yeah, that, I'm sure. Yeah, that's that, that's the thing I remember. I remember going into it thinking like, "Oh, this is Eddie." I thought because I always thought it was after Beverly Hills Cop, so he really went into it as an actor, not a comedian. This this one because he's like, "This is what movie people do. They don't they don't yeah. just do what they do in real life." And then he realized that what he does in real life is way funnier and more successful. <laughs> he did that for the rest of his life. Absolutely. And yeah. uh, Jeremy, it's not casual racism. It's like oh, it's, it's open. Anything. Full on, yeah. <laughs> so this movie thinks it's still in the eighties. Copy that. Um, yeah, it's again like Walter Hill is one of my favorite directors, and I also, by saying that, acknowledge that none of his movies would make it into the present day because that's what they're 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 about. That like he makes the movies that Michael Mann is credited with making these days. Films about masculinity, films about swagger, films about toxic masculinity. And uh, 48 Hours is an amazing expression of the thing he does. And it's incredible that it is so successful because it's just, it's got coke sweat all over it. It's vile. It's racist. It's misogynist. Yeah, let's just jump right in. I want to dive in. They're getting me so excited for all the- Don't worry. Five (laughs) minutes in, you'll see. Yeah. So, uh, so this is a good place, a good place to dive in. So we'll see you all uh, in mere moments. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. So we just finished. We're still waiting on Ken, but we decided to join because we're all bursting with. Uh, with we started this with Ian just having a long breath out. <laughs> wow, I'm still having that breath, everybody. <laughs> I, you know, I tried to prep you. It isn't just racist. It's literally every line spoken in the opening scene is racist. 
everyone and the only yes. kind of, and then for a second you're like oh maybe james Remar isn't that racist because he's his friend it's like no the next time we see him he refers to him as the indian yeah the whole yeah. movie he just refers oh, to pretty him. much exclusively is the and i don't know yeah. for a fact i didn't look it up i'm almost entirely sure that guy is not played by a native american yeah. no no he is like, oh yeah. yeah he's in uh, predator he's yeah he's that guy sonny langham exactly with the same character name actually his name is billy and predator That's as well right. Is that the Billy the Indian? That's the go to. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, well, it it is the same. Um, it's the same producer, right? Like it's. Uh, I silver remember, I remember, so that makes sense. Yeah, it's Silver. Uh, Gordon Lawrence Gordon and Joel Silver. Yeah, I think Lawrence Gordon produced um, the Predator films. I want to say yes. I don't know. There's a, con- right. there's a continuum in my mind from this to Commando to Predator. It's mostly because of the score, but there's a sort of a handoff between the steel drum based James Horner music in Commando <laughs> and this film. I don't a saxophone in Predator. Yeah. No, well, that's it. That was when Alvin Silvestri came in, but the, that's Schwarzenegger carrying it over from Commando to Predator. I don't know why, but they're all, they're all kind of on the same continuum of really efficient, really simple uh, studio pictures that are like iconic in a weird basic mm-hmm. way like this i just this can't film... get over how the music in this movie is entirely steel calypso drums drum machines and like jazz saxophone and none of it works together no yeah. but that's oil and water that's buddy cop movie stuff that's right why? Yeah, that's, that's exactly what i said as like as like i know there's going to be a saxophone at some point you it called it matter. five seconds before it hit yeah it's like well, it's saxophone and there it is there's like the first scene when they're like to get like the first night scene they're together or something or no, it's yeah. like, no it's at the cop station it's very quick the but then you're like you're three years out from or four years out from lethal weapon where it's like the Eric Clapton guitar and David Sanborn saxophone arguing with each other for four movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. As you do, as you do. Uh, but this is the movie that invents a lot of that stuff. I mean, it really, like there true. were buddy, there were buddy cop movies before, but this is the first one that sort of clarifies, like you got the salt and pepper thing with racial casting. You've got the streetwise thing. I mean, he, it's the reverse in lethal weapon, right? Cause in this case, they're both young. And Lethal yeah. Weapon adds Danny Glover being the old rule follower, which is really not a character that exists in this movie. Right. And that's what changes the game. No, you got Tough <laughs> Cop and Street Smart. Yeah, just two different flavors of Renegade. Yes. <laughs> I also do, uh, I do want to take issue with describing Nick Nolte in this movie as young. I don't <laughs> never looked young. <laughs> He's, um, it's weird to see how young he really is in the film, I guess. Cause yeah, you're right. He's always, he looks the other thing too. And I'm going to just do the one thing that I always do on this podcast. And I'm sorry. I met him. Uh, I interviewed him for the good thief and he is not nearly as imposing physically as you would think he would be. Like in this, he looks like a bear. He looks like a bear that they put in a jacket and gave a gun and trained with a few lines. Um, Just shaved him down and gave him a Farrah Fawcett wig. Yeah. Like but he is, he's like, he's, his, his skull, his features are almost delicate in person. And it was really jarring Whoa. to, uh, to see that. Cause he reads huge. I mean, yeah. I've met Eddie Murphy and he's a, a physically decent sized person. Like he mm-hmm. doesn't, he doesn't look like he'd be small next to Nick Nolte. Yeah. Right. And yet Weird. like he's got a, he's got like four inches on him and, and three times the width. It's, it's really <laughs> striking to see how Nick Nolte reads. And he was playing football players in North Dallas 40 and, you know, this is like now, <clears throat> excuse me, there are shots in this where he kind of looks like Gary Busey, right? Like well, there, it's always the, 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 the comparison of Gary Busey is, is crazy. <laughs> and Nick Nolte is probably not as crazy or uh, I, yeah, I, I, I don't think so. He seemed pretty I, together. Yeah, he seems pretty together. He, he's continually worked where Gary Busey is kind of the punchline to most uh, most jokes post entourage. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, so I don't know where Ken is. I, I let him know we started. So uh, so Ken will join us at some point. Yeah, I was kind of uh, like, it was exactly what I thought in terms of, actually probably, not, I don't know what worse, but, you know, gratuitous shots of women's breasts uh, brushing their teeth. <laughs> As you do, it's like, why not? You could never, ever ask an actor of any stature to do that now. Um, it would just Nor not should you. 
Yeah, like, no, nor should you. Yeah, nor there are no, yeah, like, there no, are no women in this film that count. None, no, but no, there are other. There is one woman who I, I clocked it. It was like she was a, a lady, a lady cop, as you will, who asked had one line in that big long oneer. Uh, yeah. Okay. There's a couple lady cops in that scene, but oh, was there? Okay. Yeah, yeah. The, well, yeah, yeah. The, she had the law. She's the one who spoke. Yeah. yeah. But Annette O'Toole is just pushed aside, and and like that's Denise Crosby, future television star. Yeah. Uh, but but like Annette O'Toole that you mentioned, that they fully forget that she, they never resolved their plot line. No. Yeah. They never even explain what happens to uh, Luther's girlfriend Rosalie. She just disappears. Yeah. There's no. Yeah. There's no last phone call or something. I'm coming home or one of those. Well, scenes. actually, that's not true. They do resolve it because Nick Nolte literally says, "I'll make oh, it up oh, yeah. to her tomorrow." I'll make it up to her tomorrow. That's that's uh, the resolution. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Great. Should be fine. Sure. <laughs> I know it gets resolved. I guess. <laughs> In a way that shitty relationships get resolved in a movie like this? Yeah, it doesn't care. It doesn't care about the women folk. (laughs) But you, like, there's no reason for that storyline at all. It's not like she gets kidnapped... Doesn't, she, doesn't doesn't ground him in any like reality. That's usually what that, that that's for. It's like to show show that he's got heart. But he yeah, does, he does heart. not humanize him in the yeah, slightest. Doesn't humanize him at all. No, it's it, like, it it's, just it's like reinforces that he's like a shitty person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's all it does. That yeah. plot line. Yeah. In case it's actually better with women than he was with uh, with people of color. He's not. He's not. He's uh, no. just a shitty. There, this is the one movie where the alternate dialogue that they shot for the cable version or for the television version adds character and depth. Just just out of contempt uh, for the lines. Like the, there's a line, um, what is it? Uh, if it wasn't for you, I'd be at home with my girl giving her the high hard one, which was replaced in the TV version with, I'd be home loving my gal, which actually has more feeling expressed from Jack than he gives in the movie itself. It's so depressing. I've never heard the word trim used in the sexual connotation. And so often. Uh-huh. Yeah. Was that a real? Was that a buzzword back then that I, I was too young to know? I want to say I've heard it elsewhere, but it might just be picked up from this movie. Um, I've, I've definitely I've, heard it elsewhere, but yeah, yeah. I, I can't think of ever hearing it non-ironically. Hmm. There's a lot of yeah. There are a couple of the things that a couple of the slang terms that that uh, Reggie throws around. I think are invented just because Murphy was bored and wanted to come up with something fun. Right. That's yeah. I gotta say, I gotta say, like like I said uh, before, I, I think it's he's very like uh, Eddie Murphy's great in it. I think I think he's kind of uh, uh, he's subdued in a in a nice way. Like he's subdued in like uh, like again, he doesn't didn't seem to to want to ham it up in this movie, which I kind of like watching him in a, like a I guess a semi serious role, which mm-hmm. he doesn't or didn't ever really do often. Uh, I know the, the thing I found so striking about that is. Like it's the only movie I can conceivably think of where Eddie Murphy isn't like crafting the movie himself. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like yeah. It's like, someone yeah. else's movie that he's yeah. in. Like it doesn't he, seem like it's yeah, every other movie is like him uh, improvising until it's good, mm-hmm. and then that's what the, that's what they keep in the movie. And, and and this one, it sort of seemed like he's kept probably kept to the script most of the time because it was his first movie. I mean, that makes for sense. sure. He probably was yeah. a little more nervous to do that kind of stuff, right? Well, yeah. he's not in control, right? Like, there's yeah, no scene exactly. except the except the the torchy scene, which is amazing. Yeah, that's um, yeah. that's the only time that he completely takes over and can do whatever he wants, and you can feel the energy change. It's, um, yes. like, you know, Kate had never seen it, and I uh, we we just rewatched it, or I rewatched it, and she watched it with me, and it's like this is the scene where Eddie Murphy becomes a movie star. Like, you mm-hmm. can you yeah. can walk it. It's like the 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 shopping scene in Pretty Woman is the only other time it's like that actor is never going to go away. Like yeah. this scene is so important to this person's career that that's, you will be able to point to like 40 years later, you can point to it and go, Oh no, it was right here. And it's amazing. Like there's this, this moment just before he throws the glass at the, at the mirror where his eyes kind of flicker <laughs> and it's in the script. That's a performance. Like he's, you don't, you don't do that randomly. You, you don't throw a glass in a shattered giant mirror without everybody being prepared for it, but he makes it feel like he's thinking about it in the second that it happens. It's, right. That's really something. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, he's really good. Yeah, well, yeah. He talked about that on Mark Maron last month where he was just like, nobody had ever seen a black supporting lead in a movie just take over like that. Oh yeah. And he's like, and that's like, people loved it. And that's, that started my career entirely. Hmm. Yeah, well, to the point where it's like I was looking at, it and it's like, so 
Eddie Murphy gets paid four hundred and fifty thousand for this movie. Nick Nolte gets paid a million, and then by the time the sequel comes around, it's reversed. <laughs> Nolte makes three, and Eddie gets seven. Wow! Don't watch the sequel. Oh, no? really? By the oh. way, don't why go. is it really racist? <laughs> It? It's actually less racist, but on every other level, it is inferior. It's, Ugh. yeah, it's just, it's utterly contrived. Murphy didn't want to do it. He's heavier. He's carrying this anger weight or something. It was right in that slump where he just ended up doing a bunch of stuff he didn't care about. And yeah, yeah they just, it's, the whole thing is contrived to reset to basically he got somebody, oh, there's, that's right. There's some super villain um, who controls everything in, in San Francisco and he contrived to keep Reggie in prison. So he's been in prison for eight years instead of the six more months. Oh, and God. it's all just resentment and, and they pay off his money. Does he get his money back eventually? Uh, I think he does, but I don't remember the circumstances and it's all really, it's really, really bad. Don't even bother. Yeah. Um, I saw it in the theater and you could feel like I was at a preview screening and everybody was really hyped. And then within 20 minutes, the, you could just feel people starting to slump in their chairs knowing that it wasn't going to work. And by the end of it, people were just like over it. So done. And it retroactively just, ru- it doesn't ruin the first movie, but it makes you less enthusiastic about revisiting it. And uh, Ken is now joining us, everyone. Welcome back, Ken. Hey, sorry. It, uh, my, uh, my viewing was interrupted right in the middle for like 20 minutes. So oh. I was uh, just running a little late. Well, we covered all this, all the, about how not racist it was. We were saving all those comments for you. Um, <laughs> and just how timely it is about uh, racism in the States. <laughs> yeah. It, it probably couldn't be a worse time to be revisiting the uh, movie actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But we, uh, we touched on all that kind of stuff. So uh, I was excited to see Jonathan Banks. Yeah. Who has never been young. Speaking of people who have never <laughs> been young. Exactly, yeah. exact same. Just and just still has that hair. forehead, but here when he's, when he's, quote, younger, or has, let's say he has darker hair, uh, he look, just looked like he's stoned. Where, mm-hmm. where, like, that look in, you know, modern day Jonathan Banks is like, oh, you just look old and weathered. Where back yeah. then it's like, that guy's high. He's <laughs> always been like that. Like, he's the, he's the killer in Beverly Hills Cop, right? Like, he shows up at the beginning and... Yeah it's sort of the same performance. Yeah. yeah. That's actually um, what confused me into thinking I'd seen this movie. Oh, yeah, right, right. oh there you go. Because I, 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 I'd seen him in that movie and then someone had told me he was in this movie and I was like, shit, did I also watch 48 hours? But okay. He's just in both. Yeah. yeah and he wears the same outfit and acts the same. <laughs> yes. He's effectively the same man. Ends up in the similar, same place. Similar to how those scenes from she's having a baby and uh, plane trains and automobiles crossover. That's right. how you tell these movies in the same shared movie. <laughs> movie universe. The yeah. Urim and Troutiverse. We call it. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. He is great in this, though. I will say, like his his two scenes are tremendously yeah. good. But he starts. It's, he has this weird. But it's just like he's bawling on the stairs, and it's like don't say, don't spare my life. It's like what the? Why are you sacrificing yourself for what reason? He's got a <laughs> hole in him. He knows he's already dying. I mean, look at how sweaty and and fevered he is. Scary. Oh my god, yeah, <laughs> bleeding out on camera. But I do love the line reading. Like, don't do this for me is a great way to come out of that scene because it's the western moment, right? Like, it's sure. the cowboy who loses his partner, and that's the inciting incident and all of that. But Banks just doesn't play the cliche. He's just like he's genuinely sad that this has happened to him. Okay. And can I, am I alone in thinking that James Remar is a terrible actor? It's the Coke sweat. Like it's they not just, only this, that. It's like, I don't like him in anything I see him in. Oh. I mean, it wasn't much of this. It wasn't a very one note. It's a very one note performance, but there's nothing I've seen him in. Even in Dexter, which I hate watch, he's <laughs> the worst part of every scene he's in. Yeah, he's pretty bad, man. Could he play in Dexter? He plays the dad. He plays like the ghost. Like the ghost Harry. Yeah. Oh no, yeah. All those last yeah. That's an unplayable role though. Yeah. yeah. It's just the whole That's, that's the, not the, true. If you yeah, look at his, you know, yeah. Michael C. Hall was another show that did that, but they used um Oh, is, Richard Jenkins. Richard Jenkins. Yeah. And he makes it work. So that's not right. a playable role. That's it's fair. The role that's very playable, and they gave it to a shh. I don't want to <laughs> the actor that's very cruel. But yeah. Remar just doesn't make any part any any movie better, in my opinion. Sorry, James Remar. <laughs> He's just one of those guys. Like, you know, his modern day counterpart, um, you know, is probably like, a, um, I can't remember the guy's name from Avatar, you know. Uh, um, Sam Worthington? Just, yeah. I just find them to be very kind of yeah. generic cookie cutter. He's yeah. just yeah. like generic bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. But there's better people that do that, you know? 
Even yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, Jonathan Banks, for example. That's just it. But even like that last scene at the end where he, it's just like, what is happening? All of what, one line after another. It's just like, none of this is, oh my God, he got worse in the last 30 <laughs> seconds of, the, of his role. And it's a knitted uh, tank. That knitted so tank is the best part of it. That's the only <laughs> Crocheted, I believe. I, I have an expert oh, wow. here. <laughs> that, that, um, that was the only part of his character that I bought as a human being. I think the tr- the key to Gans is that he does coke in every shot that we don't see. Like he's <laughs> constant. They break him in a prison. And the first thing he wants to do is a lot of cocaine, and then everything else that follows is like bug eyed, sweaty, popping, crazy, uh, violent, violent, violent. He's on. He's just blown out of his mind. He dies happy, really. <laughs> yeah, I guess the only problem I had with this movie, besides all the other obvious problems. <laughs> It's like, I have a problem believing there's a world wherein Eddie Murphy and Gaines teamed up at some point. Like, how did that happen? I want to see that. Pre-play. Yeah, there's zero familiarity between them at all. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. But it's like, how did they all connect? How did this, this threesome of this gaggle of fools get together in the first place that they work together on a job? The army jacket guy, you mean? Yeah, yeah, like not one of the three. Not one of the three actually kind of like gels in any mm-hmm. sort of way. Yeah. My theory is basically that Reggie and Luther were in on something together because they're hiding the money. Yeah. Billy obviously doesn't know where it is. Billy is working with Gans. Gans gets Billy to break him out of prison. But I don't think Billy and Reggie and Luther ran in the same circle. So it's probably just that we're all together on one thing. Yeah. And they, two of them screwed over the other two. They have a spare bus laying around just to like... Yeah. For that, they mentioned that they said the bus was stolen. Yes, I, I, which I, I, again, as a set piece, I liked it. I liked High it. out of your mind on coke, you're going to think stealing a city bus is a good idea. I'm <laughs> just saying, either Gans or the screenwriters, there's a case that could be made. A moving hey. set, yeah. That's I mean, for visually, that makes it a lot more interesting. Than the oh yeah, the makers of Speed said, "I'm going to do that for <laughs> ninety minutes," <laughs> and it was awesome. A long time ago. Yeah. So the thing that stood out for me watching this um, tonight is that I don't know how it got in my head or why, but I just thought that Nick Nolte basically kind of holds himself and moves as if he's like Chris Farley if he grew up and became this jaded cop. He's got this gait about him where he's yeah. not comfortable in his own body. Like he's mm-hmm. He always seems to be kind of moving in a weird way and like trying to get his coat to stay on properly. It just seemed very Farley, the whole movie. Well, I wonder if we were, we were talking. Norman made made a reference about how how like bigger Nick Nolte looks in 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 this movie than he kind of like plays in real life and just more imposing. And I wonder if they didn't do a thing with wardrobe where they actually fitted in a jacket that was just a little bit too small to make it look like he was bursting through it. Maybe he's just standing on like three apple boxes in every shot. <laughs> you know, it's funny because in the sequel, like one of the first lines that Eddie Murphy has to him is, uh, "You've lost weight." Right, but Murphy's heavier. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah, how that, that protected uh, Murphy's ego. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, this was right around, I'm trying to remember, another 48 hours was 1990, right? Because we were talking yeah. about it beforehand. Yeah. And this is right around the same time that Nolte was losing weight to do like the, the Prince of Tides and stuff. And it totally physically changed his body. Yeah. But I mean, I met him in, I want to say 2002. And f- his frame is smaller than I would have expected. So even if he was heavier, I, like I still don't see him being he's got, towering, but he clearly looks. He, he did some work potentially for this one, maybe. Yeah, mountainous. You know who really looked much, uh, much uh, healthier and uh, leaner was um, uh, the other cop, uh, Brian. Uh, oh, Brian James. Brian James. Yeah, who's in Blade Runner the same movie. year, which is so weird. Yeah. Oh, he's uh, that guy. Kehoe, you yeah. barely recognize him with the mustache because it totally changes the shape of his face. Right, Chief. Yeah. No, the the buddy is the not the yelling. That's chance, Tobin it. Bell, isn't it? It's no, not Tobin it's Bell. Brian James. I, I actually said Tobin Bell. I was wrong. Oh um, yeah, yeah. They they have. He's got a Tobin Bell vibe, but it's not. And uh, right when I watched it yesterday, I went, "Oh my god, I can't believe I thought it was Tobin Bell." <laughs> Which that's my least favorite thing about the sequel. If you're talking about the sequel, is um, I didn't tell them. Brian I didn't James tell them. Is, oh my! He, he's like he was my one of my favorite characters in the in the original movie because he's actually one of the nicest characters and one of like you know he's the guy who doesn't cause any trouble and then they take him and you know spoiler alert they make him the villain of the second movie what 
Really? Yeah, this is why I don't spoil movies. It just seems like now we have to spend 10 minutes explaining this. It's, <laughs> oh, it's right. terrible. No, it, it makes it no sense. Rough. Yeah, it yeah it's like, uh, it made me really sad, actually. But he did, yeah, he, he did that number from him that one time. So you can tell he's a, like a little bit. Yeah, of they set that up. Yeah. <laughs> they set it up. They set it up pretty nicely. Yeah, but if he didn't want him to find the number, he wouldn't have told him about the number. <laughs> he gave it away real quick. Yeah, he's just a nice guy who dicks Jack around a bit. Right. But. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he becomes the Iceman, right? That's what they call him. I haven't yeah. seen this movie in 22 years, but I still remember it. Oh, yeah. um, Homer, yeah. right? That's a shared universe. They're both yep. the Iceman. And Michael Shannon in that one movie and called Michael The Iceman. That's right. <laughs> and now, the, the Iceman of Earth. And also Sean Ashmore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Not um, Iceman, technically. What's his name in yeah. Iceman? No, it's Ice, he's Iceman. No, yeah, Bobby, Bobby, yep, Iceman. Bobby the Iceman, yeah. Look at me. There's a whole lot of uh, all, all is, shared universe. They're all this is where we've ended up. <laughs> Let them fight. Part of the new MCU. <laughs> oh no! Let's uh, don't even think about the sequel. It's just it's such a sad waste of everything. The one thing you can say in its favor is that it looks pretty good. Like it's it's well lit. Yeah. But that's literally all I remember. That and and Eddie Murphy being heavy in a slow. scene. And a, like, uh, like there's a yeah. basketball court scene or something. That's. That's, that's how he's yeah, introduced. That's when, he first, that's when he first goes to talk to Eddie Murphy. And, you know, it's like, uh, it, it just makes me sad because the first thing it posits is that Eddie Murphy didn't get out in six months. He mm. ended up getting stuck in jail for another five years. Seven. Because he was framed. Oh, it was eight. Something. Yeah. yeah and like I'm like, framed by the Iceman. Already sad. Like, mm-hmm. and like, so immediately they posit that um, Nick Nolte kind of abandoned him. Because uh, he goes, oh, I gave him a call, and uh, yeah, I knew you were guilty. The money was under your pillow. Uh, you're a dirty con, you know. Like immediately in like the beginning of the second movie. So I was just like, wow. So the poor guy just lost five years of his life, and like that's like a throwaway. So you're telling me that Nick Nolte's completely transformational arc in this film, from racist to slightly less racist, <laughs> apologetic racist. Out the window. Didn't carry over to uh, another 48 hours. I don't know. Yeah. Told him that he didn't mean the watermelon stuff. Uh, Holy oh, shit. Man. Like, yeah. he was using racist slang that I hadn't heard in decades. Yeah. And his excuse of, oh, yeah, gee, I'm sorry. Uh, it's just that, uh, you know, it's cop stuff. You know, oh, we got to do that. Oh, yeah. And I was like, yeah. what? Yeah, he said, I mean, yeah. that I believe. But, oh, I, uh, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Shocking. Certainly, certain jokes in 48 Hours do not play. Not even jokes, but there's a, there's the scene where the fight gets broken up by two other cops, and one uh, guy has a gun on Eddie Murphy for three shots, and you just sit there going, oh, this is really uncomfortable in a way that it wasn't in 1982. Yeah. That's what I thought. I thought it was going to turn into, like, those cops are about to shoot Eddie Murphy, and then Nick Nolte has to defend him. Nope. And, like, gains empathy. <laughs> No. Nope. He literally says, I'm too tired to help you. My badge is on, on my car. It's horrifying. Well, yeah. just speaking of jokes in this, I can't get over how much of the movie, like, I see what they think they're doing. They think they're having fun banter between these two mismatched partners, but it's really just him being like, you're a piece of shit and I really hate you. And I'm like, that's a joke. Yeah. At a certain point, and then he helps him get trimmed. <laughs> yeah yeah I mean, that makes it okay likeable. there's nothing likable about nolte like from start to finish nothing. no totally there's he's just a miserable just screen presence in this and like i've liked nick nolte and other things but he's so unpleasant yeah i mean he's like he like he's horrible to his girlfriend he's mm-hmm. like incredibly violent to every woman in the film yeah yeah like he's when he doesn't even need to be yeah he's an he awful is- cop yeah. Like he doesn't he, just he really doesn't do so anything he swigs out of that <laughs> flask through the whole movie like it's un- he's just yeah. drunk all the time uh-huh. yeah this is what i was me this is what i meant earlier about how this is these are the movies that michael mann is making now because they're much more uh aggressively about unpacking the the iconography of the bad cop or the mm. the broken cop i mean Nolte in this and Al Pacino in Heat, there's not a lot of sunshine between them. Those are fairly similar characters. Or yeah, even you know, like William Peterson in Manhunter. The yeah. relationship between Al Pacino and his, his girlfriend in Heat is not this. No, no. And of course, that's what I mean. Like, man yeah, gives them time and space to develop these things. And Hill is just using this shorthand that came out of the Westerns that he wanted to make. I mean, he'd mm-hmm. just come off the Long Riders. And I think Southern Comfort was right before this, too. And that's just a film about 
like it's it's his version of deliverance. It's just mm-hmm. national guardsmen, weekend warriors blundering into the south and hillbilly war. Um, but he's always been interested in what masculinity is and what you know, like confidence looks like and, and how people will just sort of bullshit their way into situations that they then can't get out of. Like the warriors is another one. It's his comic book, but it's not far off from this. And, and Remar and, um, and, um, oh, I can't, David Patrick Kelly are both in that, of course. And, 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 you know, and on top of it, like Annette O'Toole isn't given a whole hell of a lot to do in this movie besides just being a shrew. Yeah. I don't think her part was cut or anything. I think that's all they shot. But that's just how the movie sees her. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't help true. that the because I looked her up and she's thirty in this movie. But they've styled her to look like she's like eighteen. Like she reads as his daughter to me. <laughs> oh yeah, he's a lot old, older than her. That that yeah. that's another just issue with uh with the movie that would fly now. Just old older man and just treating her like shit. But she's still like, oh, I still want you back. Essentially. I wonder. I don't think they were that far apart in age. Or no, uh, he was only about 10 years older than her, which surprised me. Is it old? But if he was 40 in that, he'd be 70 now. Or he'd be 80 now. That can't be right. Uh, sounds pretty close. Hang on. Let me do this. <laughs> let me do this for Nick Nolte's yeah, decency. Yeah, it's just that it's just that the Nick Nolte's been old forever, it seems. Yeah, he was 40. Yep. Nick Nolte turns 80 this year. Holy wow. shit. Can we give a shout out to the yelling captain? Oh, yeah. He's Frank <laughs> McRae. Oh man, he was funny because as much as he was yelling, the things that he were saying weren't really yell worthy. He was kind of like praising him during his yells. He's not wrong about anything. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure sure he was asking Walter, "Are you sure I'm going to yell every single line?" He's like, "Yeah, that's how we'll know it's important." Yeah, one line. Okay, you go do it. You go do it your way, and that's fine. We (laughs) wrote all of these with exclamation points for a reason. I'm going to get it wrong, but it was a long line. It was like, that's of no consequence to me. Like it was a really long wordy line that he yelled. And I was like, that's a lot to yell. Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. It was. Really- hey, he's already worked up. You started at nine. You got nowhere to go. Oh, and then when he shouts the N word at Eddie Murphy and like doubles back to yeah, comment on how he did it. Yeah. Like, all right. It, it made me uh, nostalgic for I was I mentioned her while we were watching. I'm like that scene in or that scene where like the whole subplot of so I get married and axe murderer. Yay! Alan <laughs> Arkin, Anthony, and Last Action Hero as well, right? Last Action Hero does a great parody of like all the all the captains of these days. And you know what? It was like less intense than this captain was going. Yeah. Well, I actually said to General, we were watching it. It's been, I can't remember how long since I watched a movie with a non-ironic version of the captain chews out yeah. the cop who plays by his own rules. And this was like totally played straight. And I'm like, no, I've only seen this as a joke. Well, yeah, that's what, that's what I'm curious about. Like, I, I don't, I don't. This know might have been one it, of the first then maybe, did it right? Mm-hmm. Well, the, the it, Dirty Harry films have been around for a decade. Oh, right? yeah, so yeah. that's probably where that came from is it trying to be I, I, that's what i don't understand is it trying to be funny and, and it just it didn't land like is it, it was it a i don't know if it it's i don't know if it was a cliche like, yeah like I, yeah i, I think it was just, have those moments too where they're just like just silly moments for a second and then back to you know serious reality that's like kind of yeah yes but i mean i think the way that murphy comes in at the end and just says you're being really hard on him in a straight kind of calm voice is supposed to be the punchline to that but yeah. it doesn't play like that now yeah no no i did you know i did appreciate um um this the chaos of the scenes in the police department that felt very altman-esque with like you know um like just just seeing all that complete chaos but kind of following through and yeah, and yeah. Uh, the the dialogue over the dialogue, like that stuff, really worked for me. Kind of just felt like a almost a seventies movie vibe. Yeah, um, yeah. Is that one great wonder they had? And there's that one great one too when they're in Chinatown. And it starts in the lights, and then in the background it, it <laughs> cranes down to to it jibs down to catch to catch them walking in. Yeah, yeah. I, I I love I love the way that that movie looks. I think I think like it's a I mean it's a, it's a product of its time. It feels like the eighties, uh, but it still has lots of style and. They tried. They tried a couple of things that were interesting camera wise, and and uh, I mean, all the neon lights always looked awesome. Uh, and yeah. Usually in the eighties, things are always flickering, so I'm, I'm very, I'm very. Yeah. Um, I, there's no flickering neon in that entire movie, which I'm actually very surprised to see. Every other movie in the eighties, Walter Hill doesn't fuck around with yeah. flicker. He must have tested every single <laughs> neon light. 
Yeah. There's a moment too. There's a couple early uh, shots in the hotel showdown that look like, I don't even know what the term is. What is the flat version of a split diopter shot where you just have the. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think they're just worse, but diopter shots. I'm pretty sure there's just two, two of them in the movie. I saw there's You uh, can do that without scope. I didn't uh, know that was an option. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a filter. You just put the filter in front of the lens. Oh, cool. They just do it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I've only ever seen it in anamorphic. Yeah, I think that... You got a place. Well, I don't know if that was shot... Well, we were, it, it, you had the Blu-ray. Were you watching it on a Blu-ray? Yeah, what was, yeah. The, what was the aspect ratio on the Blu-ray? We watched it on Amazon Prime, and it's, they just crop it to 16.9. Yeah. Oh, no, it's 185. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. I, I thought, yeah. yeah. So it's not it's not far off, 69. It's a little bit, just a little bit wider. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, you can you can do that with just a filter in front of the, in front of the lens. It's, you know, it's always a tricky shot to, to pull off, but yeah. yeah they did it a lot, like... Uh, um what's his name uh uh talk radio they use like at every other shot i think it's called talk talk oh robert richardson oliver stone yeah oliver stone yeah yeah uh they use it like every other there's like 74 shots with this but after but just literally (laughs) filtered from the lens um front of the lens Hmm. um but yeah i love that stuff so we're actually trying to do that on, on the movie we just shot was uh we wanted to try to figure out how to use the split diopter but we never found a really uh appropriate moment because it definitely feels like a split diopter shot you know <laughs> a split diopter kind of movie yeah you, yeah. Need, you need to have a moment for it because it's very specific we didn't want to do it just for the sake of doing it which we're not above doing <laughs> but we, we couldn't even like justify a bad way to use it yeah yeah it really calls a lot of attention to itself yeah it does yeah, yeah. you got to do that especially, especially now because no one uses it anymore too hmm. so it's kind of a. have so, you guys um did you guys discuss the music at all kind yeah. of yeah we talked around it a little yeah, bit yeah. i really I, I really like how you know immediately you know you're watching an 80s movie when uh <laughs> when that soundtrack with the oboes fires up right at the beginning and exactly. <laughs> it's like uh but I, I thought it was great i thought um um the music was uh was pretty great throughout looking for the positives <laughs> <laughs> I honestly I like yeah. it. I think, you know, I I know what it is and seen, it doesn't yeah, I'm with you. I've seen this yeah. movie probably 20 times and I didn't start to feel a little bit uh different about it probably t- until the last 5 years or so when I started to get a little more socially aware. <laughs> but I still I I agree it's a product of its time and like it's it's stylish. It's not funny, but um it doesn't have to be. It's Some it's a pretty, trying pretty to be funny, story. right? Yeah, no, it only became a comedy in the uh, rearview mirror, really. Right. Like it's right, right. it's a comic presence in a straight film, which gives yeah. it a weird energy, which I like, yeah. and an unpredictability. But you know, like all the laughs that Murphy gets are pulled from, you know, glances or or bits of business that he does physically. Awesome. You know, I wonder if like if that's a Walter Hill thing, like um, because I'm I'm thinking of something like. Um, Lethal Weapon, where uh, Lethal Weapon Two kind of leaned into the comedy, and and from then on, it kind of became it kind of became a buddy comedy. Whereas this, um, the sequel wasn't any funnier. Like it was, it was still. You would have thought that by that point in Eddie Murphy's career, after right. two or maybe even three, no, two Beverly Hills Cop movies, um, they would have leaned more into the comedy, and they really didn't. Yeah, I don't think Hill had any interest in it. I mean, certainly if you look at his career, the only I think he's only done one other com- one comedy at all, and it was Brewster's Millions, which, you it's know. such a weird... Yeah, normal. it's not... It doesn't really work. Uh, I do actually love that movie, but... Uh, but, but it's uh, not right. it's funny, a, right? Yeah. Like, it's, John it's not actually... Funny. John Candy's pretty great. Uh, but I agree. Yeah, it's a little odd. Yeah. I mean, I... Actually I, I actually didn't know... Uh, I didn't remember that Walter Hill directed that. That's actually kind of a very... No one, no one remembers that Walter Hill made it. Choice. Yeah, I, I, I we we looked up the Walter Hill's filmography because I was trying to remember all of it, and that was that shocked me when I saw it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I I really like him as a filmmaker. He is he can only do one thing, and watching him figure out how to do that thing in the movie that he's making has always been something that fascinates me. Um, Trespass, the the movie he made with Bill Paxton, mm. and um, is it Paxton and Pullman? Is that the one film where they made it, they work together? That can't be right. Wow. Um, 
Is it Paxton and Sadler? They weren't allowed but to touch each other because then the universe would have yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> time cop each other. Yeah. Um, but Trespass <laughs> is the one like that's 1992, I think. And he just refused to update his thing. He just, he didn't change anything. He didn't change the lighting. He didn't change the music. He's like, no, no, this is what Walter Hill does, man. And then he didn't work again for a few years. <laughs> Walter Hill did not do Walter Hill. Well, you, you just look at the movie titles he did closer to the end of his career. And it's like, yeah, you just stayed that guy and the world moved on without you. Yeah. It's so fascinating, it is, right? It is William Sadler. It is Sadler. Uh, oh, it's, it, is it that that's the one with Ice Cube and Ice Tea? Yeah. They're the heavies. Okay, so there is there is a weird like worlds colliding thing. I think it's the only time they made a movie together for a while. Um, but yeah, no, he like he made um, he and he tried to evolve in a weird way. Like he made revisionist westerns. He made Geronimo and American Legend, and he made Wild Bill, and they're not unsuccessful. Hmm. But you can feel like they're trying to be um, not racially conscious exactly, but they're trying to be more sensitive and pay and pay some respect to characters that he spent 25 years just rolling over. Yeah. And that's interesting to me. Like the idea that he, he, he couldn't quite get himself to where he wanted to be, but he was trying. Yep. Um, maybe it's like the apology tour for everything he does in 48 hours. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Let's be fair. I, I don't think it's just 48 hours. <laughs> it was a pretty big one in, in his filmography. It's a, it's maybe the worst of everything. <laughs> um, packaged by the studio, like it was a studio picture. Clearly, they gave him free reign; he could do whatever he wanted, and then maybe he felt bad about it. Well, it's, I mean, it's it's you know, it's, it ticks off all of the inappropriate boxes, right? It's misogynistic, it's it's racist, it's yep. homophobic. Yep, it's, glancingly it's, so, but it's there. Times where someone throws a racist comment at Eddie Murphy, and he goes back with the f word. Yep. Oh, I know. I was like, finally, Eddie's going to get to take control of this movie and it'll be satisfying. And then he immediately gets so homophobic. And it's like, no, don't ruin this. No, but you saw Delirious. This was his go-to move. Yeah, that really, really was. Which he has very publicly. uh, People don't remember this, but there was like some huge apology he made to like San Francisco Pride. Yep. In like the early 2000s where he really addressed that head on and like unreservedly apologized for it. Yeah. And good for him because it was <laughs> downright hurtful. It was sustained and ugly. And yeah, I mean, it's true. This like you just as I am doing inherently with 48 hours, you can just fall back on it was the style at the time. But then you think about it and like 40 years ago, this is what passed for mainstream entertainment and nobody batted an eye. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But did he direct um, did he direct Red Heat? He yeah. did. I mean that's almost that's almost frame for frame the same movie and and, and it has uh, Belushi you know, right much of this I mean I Belushi and Arnold Schwarzenegger it's more yeah. xenophobia than racism but it's the exact same thing it's it's just like jokes about you know cops from different cultures yeah, it's more overtly a Belushi comedy, and though. Schwarzenegger team up yeah I didn't know yeah that. you haven't seen Red Heat I think I will have to now I figured this would be formative you, I actually the, like Red Heat a little better. Um, <laughs> I do. Amazon Prime if you I think it's because I do have a soft spot for Arnold Schwarzenegger. I find him very charismatic and charming. Yeah, me too. Um, And his cartoonishness is used really well in Red Heat. It's a good comic role for him. But it is also more overtly comic than this film. And Jim Belushi is funnier than um, Oh wait, Jim Belushi. Uh, Jim Belushi. Yeah. And Gina Kershawn too. I got really excited. (laughs) Oh no, not quite. Um, Gina Gershon is in that too, right? Like oh. that's—I think that's the first time I was aware of her. I don't remember who. The, yeah, I'm not sure. She's the villain's girlfriend or something. Uh, oh, did she die? Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Brothers all over the place. You suck. Oh, I'm so, come on. It's like a second act thing. It's a throwaway death. Ian was really yeah, excited about Red Heat. <laughs> he can now still be Gina, excited. If Gina Gershon doesn't make it to the final reel, then I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I won't tell you where she dies. You're pulling a Belushi bait and switch on me. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is actually still worth watching, though. It, it's, um, I mean, it's very similar to um to 48 hours but um oh yeah well and we we haven't talked about the reason that he'll had to make that which was that he got his blank check after 48 hours and he made streets of fire which i love and no one else oh good okay i love it massive bomb i bought this album i love the songs from it oh man that's a great movie yeah it's the uh, you have have anyone have any of you seen it i've never heard of it okay 80s video game 
it's an 80s music video is what it is. It's uh, his idea was, and apparently he'd been trying to make it for 10 years, but that's what everybody says when they finally get to make the movie that destroys their career. <laughs> <laughs> this was my passion. Uh, what he wanted to do was take 50s doo-wop songs and tell a story about those characters. So his pitch was literally uh, leader of the pack kidnaps the queen of the hop, so soldier boy has to come and rescue her. And that's exactly what this movie is. And that's exactly how deep it is. But it's set in a post-apocalyptic um, Detroit, I think is where they shot it, or Buffalo or Boston or something, where a nuclear accident has ruined everything. Nobody's above the age of 40. Everybody dresses like they're in the 50s. All the cars are old. It makes no sense, but it's absolutely fascinating. And it's clearly the work of one man who made it happen. Uh, and the leads are, this is where it kind of goes wrong. He cast Michael Pere as the hero and yeah. just wasn't Diane strong Lane, enough. No. Diane, Diane Lane is... is is the queen Rick of the hop. Moranis. Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis. What? Cool. Yeah, Rick Rossovich, Bill Paxton, Amy Madigan. What's it's it's like again? Streets on Fire. Called Streets, Streets of Fire. Fire. I like it's the movie when I'm pitching someone else's movie to people, I always say if I got to pick the movie, I would pick Streets of Fire because I would I can talk about it forever and also I don't believe anybody actually got it made. It's it's a miracle that it exists. I think Shell Factory it, has a blue and it's great. It's yeah, Chef Factory, it's a nice restoration. The songs are by Jim Steinman with lyrics by Diane Warren. Absolutely, absolutely wonderful soundtrack. Like the songs uh, are oh, unbelievably good. Uh, I can dream about you. The Dan Hartman song. That's where it came from. Um, which people will recognize if they hear it. Uh, there are two tracks like that open and close the movie Nowhere Fast and Tonight is What It Means to Be Young, which if Meatloaf had sung them, they would be absolute stone classics, but they gave it to this fake band fronted by Diane Lane, which is great. The songs are fantastic, but they are instantly 1984 forever, just like synths and drums. And I, I screened it at um, Harborfront a few years back. They let me program... Uh, a year of movies that we called it invented worlds. It was all films that had to be built. The worlds didn't exist until the, the, the sets were constructed. So was it was this the like, movie that destroyed your curating career? No, <laughs> this is the movie that had the fewest people there. Oh, um, Cause everybody was like, your program streets of fire, I'm coming. And then it rained and there were 40 people uh, there. But I will say in that opening sequence, um, which is just this amazing wordless montage set to um, set to one of the Ellen Ames songs, every single person there was, was sort of nodding their heads and tapping their feet. They all got caught up in it. It's, oh. it is pure cinema in a way that only the French appreciate. Oh, is, is it like four hours long? Is it like his opus? Is it like- No, it's like 95 <laughs> minutes. It doesn't even wear out its welcome. I know what I'm doing after we get off this tonight. When That's you want right. to do a Streets of Fire episode, please let me conduct. I will be here for you. Also, okay. we got to find a, 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 an appropriate host for you to do an episode of someone else's movie with this movie, Nor. No one has mentioned 335 episodes. Nobody. No, I'd be mean, like, we have to find someone else to host, like guest host. Oh, to so let me do be it. interviewed. That's not a I problem. also have a podcast, God damn it. <laughs> oh, yeah. The podcast we're on right now. Yes, we're doing it right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's it's one of those movies where you'll either love it or hate it. You will probably hate it because now, in addition to being really silly, it's also almost 40 years old and really out of date. But it's somehow timeless and weird. And after that, he was just like, well. Right after. So yeah, you four. Yeah, I mean, I'm totally okay. We're, we're going to make yeah. another date to watch that because I, first of all, love, I, I won't watch any musical. And also just where you pitched that. It's oh, yeah. So bonkers and yet awesome. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm so excited to watch that trailer. <laughs> A potential train wreck of a movie. No, it is. It is absolutely. A <laughs> um, I can't lie. And and it, it did derail his career. It's why he made Brewster's Millions. It's why he made Red Heat like so quickly after 48 hours, because it's just like this will get him back into the yeah. world. And, and it was a hit. So that was OK. But yeah, no, he, he the Walter Hill career arc is absolutely fascinating because it's somebody who is exquisitely qualified to do only one thing. <laughs> and he goes in and out of fashion, and it's really fascinating. I think his last theatrical feature was, oh, no, 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 that's right. Well, he made Bullet to the Head, which is a short, uh, Stallone film. Oh, that was like fairly recent, wasn't it? 2005 or six, maybe, or even yeah. a little bit. It's not good. Like, the no, only thing... I think it's more recent than that, though. I think it, it's probably 2010-ish. Maybe? I, don't, I can't remember who I reviewed it for. I started it now in 2008, and I want to say I saw it before that, but I could be wrong. Uh, I might uh, be wrong. But then subsequently he made 
And uh, once again, here we are with Walter Hill taking a concept that he thinks is brilliant and somehow managing to offend literally everyone who could have been <laughs> to see it. Uh, do you guys know about The Assignment? No. no. Yeah, The Assignment is a movie where... Um, okay, so it's a movie about uh, a killer who... Uh, like the perfect assassin who's a corporate oh, yeah, killer. Yeah, yeah now yeah. he he gets um, he gets caught by a maniac and turned into something that he hates, a woman. And so it is, yeah, I can see it on everybody's faces. Yeah. I wish this was a video podcast. Uh, Michelle I, Rodriguez yeah, yeah, plays this character subsequently, and it is wow. the clumsiest, dumbest trans allegory it's not even an allegory. It's just, it's an idea that doesn't survive the process of production. And Sigourney Weaver is the scientist who does this to him, her for, for evil reasons. It's just awful. And, <laughs> and it's like four or five years ago. It's not that old. Wow. Oh, and no. like, had it come out a year later, it would have destroyed everyone's career. And bullet to the head was 2012. Holy Jesus. Shit. Really? Wow. I thought it was later. And cause Jason Momoa is in it and he was, Oh, that's playing, right. Uh, he was still in Game I was of doing Thrones, yeah. With him in uh, 2007, so um, he wasn't a movie star yet. So that makes sense. Yeah, yeah no. One episode of Deadwood. Then they're like, "Yeah, we can't hire him back. So uh, <laughs> he's out. He's gonna he's gonna try to do the whole buddy cop thing, and he wants saxophones always with the saxophones. <laughs> he's gotta... It's not always a bad choice. <laughs> yeah. No, the assignment yeah, was yeah, it was five years ago. It was 2016. Yeah, uh, and just to to give you a sense of how well it it has been regarded by everyone, it is now currently available to stream on Tubi. Oh, uh, nice! I haven't seen he had a long career though, right? He made like about three. He directed about thirty movies. No, oh, he's been working since the seventies. Yeah, yeah. yeah and like he has. A, I didn't realize this. I, I forgot that he was a producer on the Alien series, but he also has a story by credit on Aliens. Oh, wow. Yeah, he developed. Um, he developed the first film. And then I think After James Cameron wrote the S down. They're like, all right, Walter, you forgot the story. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, um, he was involved. He's always, it always turns out he's involved more closely in the, all four of them than I think he was. Well, he has, but, it's funny. He has a producer credit on almost all of them, except for aliens. He only has an EP credit, not only. Oh. So he's just down to focus on the story by. Well, in 85, 86, he would have been too busy. Yeah. in 80, cause streets of fire is 84. So maybe that was it. It's just like, no, 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 I've got my masterpiece. You do your dumb sequel. <laughs> Good luck with aliens or whatever. <laughs> I got gold here. I'm making my rock and roll adventure. Yeah. Fable, sorry, <laughs> a rock and roll fable. Oh, which no. was probably more aliens than aliens. <laughs> I feel bad that I'm insulting Streets of Fire, even passing. I oh, no, so but it's, it's with it's, love, right? Because it's, it's so, so dumb. Don't do it anymore. I, I want to watch it. Don't talk to me anymore. <laughs> It's just very like it reminds me of um, of uh, something like um, oh shoot um, uh, what's his name God damn it Peter Weller in uh, that movie we did oh Buckaroo Banzai Buckaroo Banzai yeah it feels very Buckaroo Banzai yeah in the like it is the wild swing of somebody who knows he's never going to get another chance to do this thing and yeah. so he puts everything into it um, what was I oh yeah um, it's it is weirdly beloved by a tiny cult of like seven people uh and to the point you where there's personally you design their website uh, kind of <laughs> I, we, we we talk um but there's a there's a filmmaker named uh, ben david grubinski who just released a movie called happily which is really really good and which oh, you is should that say, with joel McHale? yeah mm-hmm. joel McHale and, and an amazing cast of funny people and it's sort of it's like a richard kelly movie about relationships it's really really smart and really really weird and it is scored almost exclusively with movie music from the 80s and 90s. Um, oh. the, the song with the saxophone from the Lost Boys is in there. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And, uh, and it's, and oh, um, uh, the public, uh, is it Public Image Limited? No, the song from uh, Hardware, This Is What You Want, This Is What You Get oh, from the, from the Richard Stanley movie. And he said, like, we, uh, he did the po- my podcast and we were chatting and he said, like, all the song cues are designed to evoke a mood and let the viewer know that this movie also knows what it's doing. Because mm-hmm. if you recognize them, you go, oh, he's seen these weird movies that only I have seen. And therefore I will trust him to pull off this next thing because we're already simpatico. And tonight is what it means to be young shows up from Streets of Fire at a really key moment towards the end. And I'm just like, I can't fucking believe somebody put this in a movie and it's working. 
but that is what Streets of Fire is. It's the it's the lingua franca of of us weirdos who. You didn't even like. You didn't, it doesn't matter if you liked that movie. They just used the song from Streets of Fire, and you were in. You're like, kind of, and yeah. That's all I needed. Uh-huh. That's all I need. Movies fine. Movies fine. It's just that mm-hmm. moment in which. Yeah, but it, streets, streets no, well, that's what I mean. Like in in happily, he uses the songs as commentary as well, and it's it's really really clever. But I do think it is the nerdiest thing in the world. It's like no, no, no if you know where this comes from, it's awesome. It makes even more sense. But it does. <laughs> Question: You're so excited about Streets of Fire. Does that this is now a Streets of Fire <laughs> podcast? God damn it! <laughs> does that movie make a better use of the Streets of Fire song than Streets of Fire? Um. It makes it mean more in a weird way because the song is used as the climax or not the climax. The song is used as an emotional climax in Happily. In Streets of Fire, it's the song that plays you out. It's basically, it's not the end credits, but it's the big number that closes the film. It does mean more in Happily the way it lands. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's really like he's, Grabinski's a really clever filmmaker. He's, um, he's doing some stuff in Happily that it's kind of like a remix. He's taking a bunch of things that you can recognize from other influences and just turns it into something. I, this is going to sound incredibly pretentious, but it's kind of like what the Coens did with Miller's Crossing, where all the iconography and archetypes of the 20s gangster film suddenly become something else. It just takes a while for the movie to sort of declare itself. Happily mm-hmm. does the same thing with a really contemporary material. Oh, interesting. Mm, cool. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that any further because I'll blow it, but it's really smart and people should see it. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Any any final thoughts on 48 Hours? Well, it's no Streets of Fire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I liked it. I, it was, you know, I liked it as much as you can probably like a movie from this era, watching it for the first time and knowing all the things that, you know, make it problematic. It's like, and, you know, grading on a curve of, of time travel to some extent. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, you know, I, I'm glad I, I finally watched it and and will not bother with the sequel since I've been told uh, no, I can't no, no, enough time. No. I'm, I'm still, in, instead I'm going to use that hour and a half towards Streets of Fire. <laughs> totally good idea. I, I like how small it is. I like how intimate it mm-hmm. is as a thriller. There really only are a handful of characters moving around this big cityscape and it's just about money. It's not about anything bigger. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody has a decent stake in why it's happening and the character relationships are interesting enough to get us from one scene to the next. Like it's a good example of a thriller. It's just hideously, hideously dated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, like to, I still like it too. Um, I don't think I would like it if I watched it for the first time now. Um, I think I'd probably be horrified by it. <laughs> um, yeah. But because it was- What the fuck are you saying about me, Ken? <laughs> No, I think he means me. Uh, He's right. Part of my life for so long, I, I I do have a soft spot for it, and I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna disagree a little with Norm on the um, on the sequel because uh, it was made in 1990, and it is absolutely a welcome to the 90s movie. Um, <laughs> That's fair. In that in that everybody who gets shot either flies out a window from the blast or falls <laughs> over or flies over a counter or it was like the birth of the a bullet that could carry you off your feet and it was uh you know glorious in that style and and it was i'm gonna I'm, i i really did in a way enjoy revisiting the characters a little more um in the sequel because um weirdly because times had changed a little they're toned down a little so it's, it's actually surprisingly not quite as racist. Oh, man. You just gave me the idea. They should have made a sequel to this every 10 years. <laughs> and every 10 years, it's just another contrived reason why Eddie Murphy's been sent back to prison. And then it's just him <laughs> encountering a new decade, Austin Powers style, and not understand, and like looking for trim. In the same suit. He's <laughs> like, we have iPhones now. Stop. And, you know, doing it in a, in a meta way, like uh, representing that era in filmmaking as well. It would be a blast. I'd watch that. Another another 48 hours? Yeah, yet another 48 hours. Still another 48 hours. 48 (laughs) hours 2K. The way they do sequels now, it would be called 49 hours. (sighs) Right, 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 right. Yeah, Yeah. that's even worse. You get two days and an hour for a lunch break. Right, 48 hours leap year. 48 hours union rules. One more hour. (laughs) (sighs) Amazing, amazing. Isn't that life? Oh my God! Yeah, like, it kind of is, is such a depressing movie. 
Yeah, it really is. The one he made with Martin Lawrence in 99. Oh, yes. Another ostensibly a comedy, but like just makes me so depressed. Yeah, it, it's it's um, Daniel Grant picked it for his someone else's movie. And we did an episode that I haven't released yet. But it's one of those things where he saw it when he was 13 and I saw it when I was 30. And we have radically different experiences wow. of that film. Uh, it's just like <laughs> they are bending over backwards to make this even slightly fun and it's about a yeah. movie who's about two black men from from the north who go to the south in the 30s and have their lives taken away from them forever and somehow eddie murphy and martin lawrence are insisting that it's fun it's like this isn't fun yeah it's like horrifying mm-hmm. yeah. jesus christ stay yeah. tuned for that episode <laughs> I, yeah all that sounds yours yes yeah well, uh, well, thanks everyone for joining for this this eighties terrific podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I I miss you guys so much Aww. here in my little box on well, the screen. For an upcoming episode of Streets of Fire that we'll do sometime in the near future. <laughs> because Bring it. I can't wait to watch that movie. I feel like that's going to happen very soon. Yeah, we <laughs> quarantine, and uh, now we know we're going to do with one and a half of those hours. I Perfect. feel like you can only be disappointed now, and I've ruined it. I think that, I think no matter what the, the way you've talked about it, 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 it doesn't matter if it's good or bad. It's, I think you've put set up both scenarios for us. Oh, it's true. I'll be, so, you know? I'll, I'll be good no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My actions are firmly down the middle. Just, I hope it's a, uh, you know, uh, a little less eighties, a little less racist. Oh, there's no way it's less eighties. I feel like it's, it's less racist because it's just the well, that's good. Sounds well, it's a musical in 1984. It is not less eighties. All right. No, <laughs> it's it's amazing actually. It's uh, yeah. You'll you'll see. You'll see. <laughs> it's got like a class of '99 vibe to it. Yeah, that's fair. Hmm. Nice. A, a rock and roll fable. Yeah. Right. Nice. Well, thanks everyone. Thank you. See you soon. Let's all go. Thanks for joining us for 48 Hours. Black Hole Films is a proud member of the That Shelf Podcast Network. You can listen to other episodes of our show and other That Shelf podcasts on thatshelf.com. Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that let others know you like the show and how they can check it out. You can find me on Twitter, at Lon Jeremy, and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. And until next time, Go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby.